0: Hello listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program If this is your first time listening My name is Christine Kim And I am the host of this program I hope this last week, we were all able to be immersed in our God's presence, confiding in his word. A little while ago, I watched a movie titled Against the Sun. It was about three soldiers who were stranded in the middle of an ocean on a lifeboat for days going without water and food. They say this movie is based on a true story. It illustrates how they had to depend and rely on each other, fought at times, and at the end, they put their strengths together and reached an island. As I watched this movie, it made me think that this is a reflection of the church. People with different thoughts and personalities come together and struggle to fit with one another. We'll come back to share more after our first song.
1: The person that I've been lately ain't who I want to be
0: Have you ever heard of the word koinonia, which means fellowship? I've even seen a church named koinonia here in the United States. This shows how often and how exposed this word is among Christians. Especially as Korean Christians, we love fellowship. There are even some people who feel if there is no fellowship, they feel as if they didn't have service. There are some pastors who say that fellowship is one part of the nature of service. This is how much fellowship is important to Christians. Koinonia, which holds the meaning to share, which is also expressed or known as fellowship, has a different translation in the Bible, which is relationship. But they say this word also holds the meaning of two people sharing the same boat, fellowship. So in other words, two fellows who share the same boat, koinonia, a relationship. If we truly think deeply about the meaning of koinonia, which means two people who share the same boat, wouldn't there be a change among the relationship of the people? If two people share the same boat, some people might say that is fate or destiny. Although destiny or fate is a term that is most commonly used in the secular world, which may not be used from a Christian standpoint, I will refer to it for a better understanding. The two people in the same boat whether they like each other or not, will have to be together until they reach their final destination. If one person said they were going to jump off the boat because they didn't like the other, what would happen? The person who jumped off would not be able to reach their destination. Then would it be right for them to reach the destination by fighting and arguing? When I was watching the movie, in the beginning, they began to blame one another as to why they ended up in such ways. And in addition, Because they were also in such a small space, the person who had position of the gun had all the power and authority. However, in order to reach their destination, they came together. They each applied their own strengths and abilities and created teamwork to reach the end. This is what I think would need to be the image of the two people sharing the same boat. Koinonia, which is translated into the term relationship, also means two people who ride or share the same boat. If we remember the meaning of koinonia as Christians, the church is one body who ride the same boat of salvation, we would not be able to fight and hate one another. But why not? Simply because of fighting, it would be harder for us to reach our destination? Because even though we may be able to reach our destination, perhaps our feelings would be hurt? No, this is not why. For koinonia to exist... We need to remember and realize that before the relationship between the two people, there is the relationship between myself and God. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ, are the words of First John chapter 1 verse 3. Reading this in the New Living Translation, it reads, We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Apostle John wrote a letter to the people and in order to have fellowship with the people and for the people to have fellowship with Him, He delivered all that He had seen and heard to them. And he says that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I hope that this fellowship may exist within the people that receive Apostle John's letter. Therefore, fellowship first takes place between myself and our Father God and Jesus Christ. This is why a relationship first exists between myself and God and Jesus Christ, which also exists between myself and other people. In order for us to have fellowship and to hold a relationship with other people within the body of Christ that we are in, We need to have a relationship with Christ within our hearts.
1: Days will come when you don't have the strength When all you hear is you're not worth anything Wondering if you ever could be loved And if they truly saw your heart They'd see too much You're beautiful You're beautiful You are made for so much more than all of this You're beautiful Beautiful. You are treasured. You are sacred. You are His. You're beautiful. You're beautiful
0: Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is, Remember Who You Are, Part 2, based on 1 John 3, verse 1-12. through I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin.
2: Being a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless, but it does mean that there is now a new thing going on inside of you where you will never be comfortable sinning again. Isn't that nice? Because that is evidence, evidence that you're born again. You will never be comfortable sinning again. And that's why a backslidden Christian is so miserable because they don't fit into the world anymore and they don't fit into God's plan anymore because they're just kind of in between and they're miserable. They're not at home at church. They're not at home in the world. So you got to get in. Come on back. Come in where you're going to be comfy. Now, reading on. Verse um, 8. The one who practices sin, okay, I think we understand that, is of the devil, not saved. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for, the purpose that, for this purpose that he might what? destroy the works of the devil. And so we see verses five and eight tied together. We see the two purposes for Jesus coming into the world. Number one, that he might take away sins. He appeared in order that he might take away sins. And secondly, in verse eight, he appeared for this reason, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's not just in our sin, in our sinful past, but even in our present, he wants to destroy Satan's hold in our lives and in the future, he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth and he's going to destroy all evil and set up a kingdom of righteousness. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that is, God's seed, abides in him and he cannot sin. You cannot go on sinning, the Greek says, because you are born of God. So God's seed is in us. We have been born of God. We now have our partakers, um, the, the Apostle Peter says, we are partakers of the divine nature, actually, literally that God shares, Second Peter 1.4, his nature with us. No, we are not little gods, that's not what we mean. But we mean that God has given us his very own life. His life is now in us. The seed of life is in us. We have been given an eternal life that we will share with God forever and ever and ever. I just love it, don't you? Now, the book of Romans talks a lot about this new life that we have, and if it's okay with you, I would like to go to the book of Romans at this point just for a minute, because I want us to just see what it means to to have God's seed in us. We have been given, when we came to Christ, a brand new nature. Remember, it says, you might want to write this down if you don't remember it already. But the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. The Greek actually says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, you're a new species, it says. Oh, the old things have passed away and everything's become new. You're a new species, You're not just homo sapien anymore. You're not just human anymore. You are this new creation of Jesus Christ, a brand new creation, a whole different species. That's how real God sees the change that has happened in you. A lot of times we just don't see it. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter six that we have died to sin. Baptism symbolizes that. It doesn't cause it. As we are above the waters, one life. We go under the water, and in Jewish understanding, at the time of Christ and the Apostle Paul to go underwater meant they was considered to die. Come up out of the water was a new life, another life. And so we understand that we are baptized and it speaks of a death and a resurrection in Christ. See, we do have that symbol. We do have a little funeral service, so to speak, when we're baptized in Christ. But I don't think a lot of us understand really what has happened. The Bible says when you came to Jesus Christ, now you no longer have to respond to sin. When sin comes knocking at the door, you don't have to answer the door. Do you really feel like when your door bell rings, you have to answer the door? I mean, maybe some of you are just so nice. You feel compelled to do that. You are very sweet. Some of you are, and you would probably. The phone rings. Do you always feel like you have to answer the phone? You don't have to. Your phone vibrates. Let it go to voicemail. When Jesus comes into your life, he now gives you the right, the authority, the power to be able to say no to sin. You don't have to answer the door. You don't have to answer the phone. I've used the illustration before that it's much like having an employer that you cannot live with. They're calling you all hours of the day and night. They're making you work overtime all the time and and you've got a phone and you've got a pager and you've got, you know, all the electronics. You look like NORAD as you walk around, you know? (laughs) always in communication, and finally, you get a new job, and it's just like the dream. Oh, you have weekends off. You're working nine to five. You have a a lunch break. It's like, what is this? You get a holiday, but in the middle of the night, your cell phone rings, and you go to answer it. Because you're so used to answering the old employer and when he goes, I'm telling you, what are you doing? Why aren't you here? Whoa, 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 come down here right now. And your first inclination out of habit, out of life, out of abuse almost is, that, whoa, I gotta, I gotta, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't even work for you anymore. I don't have to do what you tell me to do anymore. I've got a new job with benefits. See, it's that way with the Christian life. I'm going to read the text in a minute, but I'm just kind of giving you the understanding before we do. See, the devil is the old employer, and we were his slaves. Jesus Christ is coming and says, Look, I have got something for you. And talk about Benny's. Talk about life insurance. <laughs> You'll never die. I will take care of you, all your needs. I love you. You're not just an employee to me, you're not a slave. In fact, I want to make you part of the business. Well, we accept, we come on. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings. And out of habit, out of conditioning, out of all that stuff, we answer and we have this, oh, but we've got to remember, we don't work for him anymore, amen? We don't have to do what he says anymore. No, you could, you're free to, right? But you're crazy too. But we can all understand how it happens, but you don't have to anymore. Temptation comes, the devil says, hey, I want you to do this right now, come on. Ooh, ooh, you gotta, you gotta think this, you gotta act that way, you gotta do this, and we forget. Oh, wait a minute, I forget. We forget how it may hurt, we forget how, what it could do to us, okay, we forget. Does that mean that we are fired from our new job? No, it means you lose sleep, right? You're not fired, you're still covered, you still got all the benefits. You just have to realize you don't serve that master anymore. You don't work for them anymore. Is this clear? Okay, now look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. How does this happen to us? Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Is that clear? Do you understand what he's saying? Remember what I said about baptism? How it's a symbol of our new life in Christ and we've been risen with Christ. We have a new nature now. All right. For if we had become united with him in the likeness of his death, and the if isn't like, well, did it really happen? It's, it's, um, it should be translated for since. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that, read with me, verse 6, the very last line, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In other words, sin isn't going to be the master, the king, the boss, the Lord of your life anymore. Verse 7, read out loud, for he who has died is freed from sin. You're free. You do not have to answer the door. You don't have to pick up the phone. You don't have to answer your cell phone. You don't have to return the email. You can block it and say, I don't want this anymore. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has any master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so now, he says. Even so, you consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, would you read with me? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. How do we let sin reign? By obeying its strong desires. The word lust doesn't mean thinking about a guy or a gal in a way that you shouldn't. The word lust is the word epithumia, which means a strong desire. It could be good or bad. But he's saying there are wrong, bad desires. These wrong desires, and we know what they are because we know the word of God. We know the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and goes, oh, don't go there. Don't do that. We know the wrong desires. And he says, don't let sin reign by obeying the sinful lusts of your flesh. Sin always hurts. It always hurts in the long run. It's ropes that tie us up and eventually will hang us. And we have to just be so careful and understand that. And sometimes we answer the phone. Sometimes we open the door. We can slam the door shut. We can say, "Ah, be rude to sin. It's okay. You don't have to be nice to temptation. Joseph wasn't. Joseph ran from temptation. Remember in the Old Testament? He ran. He fled youthful lust. And the Bible is asking us to do the very same thing. Um, for sin shall not be master over you, verse 14, for you are not under the law but under grace. See, grace sets you free from having to sin. You put somebody under the law, though, and they're just going to want to sin all the time. You tell somebody, don't do this and don't do that. And I mean, it's, all you have to do is, is say don't touch. Put a don't touch. If I had a don't touch sign on one of these chairs... How many of you would be tempted to touch it, would you? I mean, if it was in great big letters, you are honest, sweetheart people here. How many of you would be kind of tempted to go, how many? I, there, was, there was a thermostat at a place where I'd get a haircut, and on the thermostat it said, do not touch, and you had to walk by it. It was right by the door. you walk in and out all the time. And every time I was there, I'd touch it. That's just something in me. Don't not to do that, I'm gonna do it, you know. Wet paint, do not touch. <laughs> What's that on your finger? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't obey, but sometimes when you put somebody under law, it actually makes people want to disobey but when you place them under grace and you say now, the reason why we're not gonna do this is because we love the person that spent all this time painting this, okay? And we won't, don't wanna mess it up. Plus, we don't wanna get this on us because it's gonna get go all over us. Or don't change the thermostat, because if you do, it's gonna mess up the t- You know, There's just this different approach and God in the new covenant has taken this new approach with us. We have a new nature. A pig acts like a pig and you can dress it up, I think I've told you this. You can put a little bow around its head. You can paint its hooves and floss its teeth and get it all cleaned up and put powder on it and, and it's gonna ri- run right to the slop. But you put a lamb in a pig sty and it's gonna go, this is bad, you know, it's gonna hate it. Get me out of this, right? Why? Because one has a pig's nature, the other has a lamb's nature. Well, we used to be pigs, okay? And now we've been given new natures. We're God's sheep. We're God's lambs now. And we are just not going to be comfortable doing those old things anymore. One of the evidences of being a child of God is that we have a new nature and that we aren't going to want to sin. And when we do sin, what do we do? Well, I just want you to know that there's still going to be something in us that is going to reach out to sin. There's still going to be something inside of us that, one, the Bible calls it the flesh. It's not the nature, but it's called the flesh, a principle of sin that's still here, still kind of leaning towards things. What do we do? I was really touched yesterday. I um, I was in circumstances where I was just had some time, and I, I couldn't, well, um, oh, jury duty is what it's called, okay? Every, and and I, I brought some things to do, but my time was so broken up you couldn't really concentrate on much, and, and uh, except for prayer. <laughs> Lord, please, not a six-week trial. God opened, pray, praise His name, and didn't have to do that. Then it was a six-day trial, Lord, please. Not that I don't want to do my civic duties, but my spiritual calling, I just, my flock, Lord. But, yeah. I was able to read and I read the coolest thing I wanted to share with you. It was a story of, of Robert Robinson who was saved under George Whitfield's preaching and he became just a wonderful man of God, a spiritually strong man of God. He was the one who wrote the well-known hymn. You, you remember the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, to my heart to sing Thy grace, streams of mercy never failing, Call for songs of loudest praise. Remember that song? Just happens. I I didn't have anything to do with the choice of the worship, but Ben, I, I believe the Spirit spoke to Ben's heart. And and I was reading about this yesterday, this hymn, and I was reading Robert Robinson's story. And sadly, though he had been blessed and and many had been encouraged with his hymn, he wandered far away from the fount of blessing he wandered away from the Lord and wasn't serving the Lord and began to be involved in all kind of worldliness and sinfulness and and just, I mean, to look at his life, you'd say, that guy was never a believer. But years later, he was traveling by stagecoach and he was sitting next to a young woman whom he noticed was reading something intently. And uh, when she came across this one portion of what she was reading, She thought it was so beautiful that she read it to Robinson and she asked him what he thought of it. And this is what she read. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The very lyrics that Robinson had written years before. She read to him when he was wandering away from the Lord. He broke out weeping with tears running down his face. He replied, Madam, I am the poor and happy man who wrote that hymn many years ago and I would give a thousand worlds if I had then to enjoy the feelings I had then. This encounter on the stagecoach brought him back to the Lord and he went on to live the rest of his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you may not be sinless We're gonna sin less. That's the first thing. We're gonna be looking at in the weeks to come other characteristics of children of God. When we do sin, my little children, I would write these things in order that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have blotted out your transgressions like a thick cloud, and your sins I will remember no more. I have cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Lord, we thank you for your word and your promises to us. Lord, it is our desire to live for you and to follow you, to not pick up the phone when the old master calls, not to answer the door when temptation knocks. Lord, it's our desire to follow you with all our hearts. And though we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love, Here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it to Thy courts above. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: listening to Unity in Christ. The English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics.
3: Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. For the last six months, we discussed the unchanging nature of God and how to live with a moral standard based on his words, in this turbulent world. During the next two episodes, we will be summarizing the previous Christian ethics episodes that have been discussed so far. The last several episodes clearly demonstrate that we can build moral standard according to the scripture for most of the current issues we face. However, there still exist various arguments that are not clearly explained in the Bible. Why would the Bible not give us a clear answer for certain issues. It's because those issues are not related to the fundamentals of the Bible. Throughout the history of the church, different doctrines and traditions created various conflicts and disagreements. What one generation regarded as a tradition became a doctrine in the next generation. If we consider a doctrine as a clear lesson or concept suggested in the Bible, an issue that the Bible does not cover in detail, cannot be considered a doctrine. However, if we consider doctrine to be a religious logic or principle, then we could start including old traditions in the doctrine. For example, if we only include the biblical truths in the doctrine, the creation, the trinity, the birth of Christ through Virgin Mary, the redemption through the cross, and the resurrection will be included. If we start to include the tradition, The procedure of baptism, the politics of the church, the types of the gift, and the role of women in ministry would also be included. What comes out of tradition, however, are not fundamental. Anything outside of the Bible is not fundamental, and these non-essential arguments brought factions into the church, the body of Christ. In medieval times, theologians argued about how many angels would be able to stand on the tip of a needle, or if a rat falls in the wine that was used for the communion, whether the wine is infiltrated, or the rat became holy. This sounds absurd to us who are living in the 21st century, but in fact we still tend to create factions by arguing about non-fundamental issues. Questions such as when is it the right timing for a baptism, how should the baptism be performed, whether or not we should recognize the infant baptism, When should a person enter a church? What are the standards for deacons, elders? And whether or not a woman minister is acceptable are all interpretational questions related to the tradition rather than the Bible. True Christians can exercise their freedom by striving to keep their faith while respecting other church members' perspectives. The Bible writes about the freedom of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10.23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Romans clearly states that there is no more judgment for those who are called righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christians are given the right to do anything. While Christians have the right to do anything, they choose not to sin because of the freedom that is given to them. Christians are free to sin Yet because it is not helpful and it does not build us up, we also have the freedom not to sin. Some people argue that smoking cigarettes or marijuana is not defined as sin in the Bible and therefore is not sin but is righteous. It is true that the Bible does not mention anything about smoking or using drugs. However, the Bible does suggest how Christians should react to these issues. We, the body of Christ, are the church and therefore harming the body by using alcohol, cigarettes, or illegal drugs is wrong. Also, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The term being controlled means becoming addicted, dominated, or enslaved. Therefore, Christians, Must avoid anything addicting. Christians must be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with anything else. In other words, Christians have the right to sin, but also the right not to sin. Choosing not to sin should no longer be a struggle, but a willing decision made as a Christian in order to sanctify our body and our life. Mature Christians do not make decisions however they want just because they are given the freedom. Mature Christians always remember that their action may influence less mature Christians. If they believe that their action may put other Christians in temptation, they choose not to exercise their freedom. The disciple Paul demonstrates the life of a mature Christian in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 9-13. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died." And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Mature Christians love and care for others and offer themselves for the purpose of others' spiritual growth. Mature Christians do not waste their time arguing about non-fundamental issues. Their time and energy is focused on what is fundamental, what is essential. Before arguing about how many angels can stand on the tip of a needle, Christians must remember the Good Shepherd's heart is looking for the lost lambs. Christians can do anything, however, not everything is helpful or builds us up. Therefore, Christians decide not to be free. This is true freedom. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 8, verse 32. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
0: would like for us to look back and reflect whether we have fellowship with Jesus Christ within us, whether we have a relationship in koinonia. Why do the people who ride and share the same boat argue and fight with one another? I think the cause of this is because there is no relationship with God within them, and also because 1 John chapter 1 says this about our fellowship with God, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. These are the passages of 1 John chapter 1, verse 3-7. The Bible clearly tells us that God is a light for us, and within Him there is no darkness. Therefore, if we proclaim that we have a relationship with Christ, but still live in darkness committing sin, the Bible tells us we are not living by the truth. If I truly had a relationship with Christ, then this should also mean that I stand within the light of God and believe that light will work within me. Believing this, can it be possible to say that I love God, but not my brothers and sisters within Christ? No. People who love Christ will and should also love their brothers and sisters. People who have been called by God and to be within His presence will all be on the same boat. If there is fellowship within me with the Son, Jesus Christ, then a relationship will exist with the others on the same boat. I pray that we may not hate and despise these brothers and sisters that God has placed in our lives. If so, that will only make us liars. I hope that we may live reassuring ourselves of the relationship we hold with our Father God and the relationship with the body of Christ that has been placed in our own lives. We will now wrap up today's program. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure and God
4: bless. Why are you striving these days? Why are you trying to earn grace? Why are you crying? Let me lift up your face. Just don't turn away. Looking For love Why are you still searching As if I'm not enough To where will you go, child Tell me where will you run To where will you run Cause I'll be by your side Wherever you fall My hands are holding you. Look at these hands. If you lie I want to give you lie And I'll be by your side We're